Welcome to the Truth Lover video podcast. I'm your host, Will Pye, author, speaker, coach, and retreat leader, and founder of Love and Truth Party. Love and Truth Party is a self-organizing, self-replicating community and movement of love and awakening, a wisdom school facilitating health, healing, and happiness. You can find out more about us and join our mailing list at loveandtruthparty.org. We exist to empower the deep realization and integration of unitive consciousness of one human being and to inspire action in the world from this clarity as new earth ninjas, our playful avatar. We do so in the spirit of play, holding the paradox that all is well, even and including all collective crises, whilst simultaneously being moved to act, to lessen suffering and serve the creation of conscious culture and society. Our projects include distributing a million love letters from the universe, inviting people to receive the love and care in these, and within the happiness hacks, including seven questions and other free resources found on loveandtruthparty.org. We believe that in giving, we receive, and we invite you to pay forward the value you receive in this podcast by sharing, liking, subscribing for more great content, leaving a review on iTunes, getting your love letters from the website, uh, following us on social media, and supporting us at loveandtruthparty.org. I'm really happy to be joined today by a beautiful guest doing beautiful work in the world. Uh, Fritzi Horstman is the founder and executive director of Compassion Prison Project, a nonprofit dedicated to bringing compassion, humanity, awareness of childhood trauma, and creative inspiration and manifestation to the men and women living behind bars. Fritzi and a team of volunteers visit Kern Valley State Prison every three weeks and are witnessing transformation, self-forgiveness, and creative productivity in the 30 men they serve. Fritzi Horstman produced HBO's The Defiant Ones, directed by Alan Hughes, which premiered in 2017 and has garnered several awards, including a Grammy for Best Music Film, uh, IDA Best Limited Series, and was nominated for five Emmy Awards, including Best Documentary. Her first feature, Take a Number, which she wrote, produced, and directed, debuted at the Slam Dance Festival in 1997. Fritzi, it's a real pleasure to have you joining us today. How are you? I'm so good, and thank you for that introduction. It's lovely. And um, we're serving 30 men. I just wanted to clear, uh, clarify, we're serving 30 men right now at Kern Valley State Prison. And tomorrow, I venture into Lancaster State Prison, um, and we start, we start there. And, um, and we're about to go into another Tehachapi, and hopefully a couple more in the next month. It's very exciting. And, and I can already feel, I already feel what tomorrow is going to bring. Uh, we're, we're allowed to bring our cameras in there. So, um, we're going to start, start creating video content, which is phenomenal. So, so in addition to the 30, we got 30 more and then 300,000 more and then 3 million. Well, there's not 3 million in prison anymore, but there's, there's many more people incarcerated in the world. So we'll keep going. This is beautiful. And your, your title that you propose for our dialogue is compassion in action, which just feels very deeply aligned with what the uh, 
Love and Truth Party more broadly is pointing to and um, the Compassion Prison Project just seems to embody this in a, in a really profound way. And I'm excited to hear that it's expanding. I've got a, a question to ask you, like in your bio there, people hear that you um, have had success in the world of, of, of showbiz as a producer and director and writer and more. And, and, and now there's Compassion Prison Project. I wonder if it might be interesting just to share a little bit of, of how one became the other. What, how did you get started in this serving people in prisons? Well, um, I've always kind of been very concerned about how, our, how America treats African-Americans. That's been, I've had my eye on this problem for probably 10 years. And after we won the Grammy, um, I kind of pivoted my focus to uh, finding content about African-Americans and their struggle to to emerge in the society. And um, I got invited to a prison, to visit a prison um, in, a, in a class called Hustle 2.0, uh, created by Kat Hoke, this amazing woman who activates people. Um, she activated me. She activates people and brings awareness to what's really going on inside prisons. I stepped in there and I cried for seven hours and I said, when are we coming back? And the structure of her program, she said six months, and that just didn't feel, that felt disconnected. For me, that felt disconnected because I was connecting with all these men and I wanted to continue to nurture them. And um, so I just said, I'm gonna do something. I gotta do something. And um, so in that, during that time I was working and and working in the film industry, I was producing um, a TV series. And the amount of work that that takes, it's almost impossible to do, to do anything else. And so I just decided when this job is done, I'm, I'm gonna devote my life to this, to, to the Compassion Prison Project. And um, what I've learned is every skill that I have learned as a producer, writer, and director I am using every every ounce of my talent doing the Compassion Prison Project because I am basically producing and creating for these guys and soon to be women as well. Um, we are we are in production right now. We are creating calendars. We're creating podcasts. We're creating a film about childhood trauma. So everything, every the universe has given me all of this information so that I can, I can give it right back to this project. So I, it feels so aligned and so, um, on point. It's, it's so weird. It's even the jobs that I was doing, I never used all these, all these faculties, all my organizational skills, all my visionary skills, problem solving. It's just, um, and I'm so much more creative than I've ever been in my life. So it's, it's such a gift. I'm, I'm getting a, one of those sort of you know, tingle up the spine moments because what I'm hearing is that uh, mysteriously you were in training in, in preparation for this role without consciously knowing it. And I can relate to that in my own experience. It's like, oh, wow, that, that stuff and those tasks and those skill sets that were being developed now in this purposeful work that I'm doing are really useful and 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 uh, it, it feels as as purposeful as any work c 
could be. And I, I sense that in your communication, the, the alignment and the resonance. Absolutely. It, it was, it was, you know, 57 years of training, <laughs> including the trauma that I, that I received from my mother, even the abuse that was training. Um, watching my father destroy himself, the depression, you know, the shame that was living in my family, all prepared me for this day, right now, this conversation with you. It's, um, and the work I do, and the work, you know, I wake up dreaming about prison and how we, you know, new ideas come every, practically every second now. And um, There's two things there that just feel deeply profound. One, one is one of the things I point to and teach is radical gratitude, which is this recognition that everything is functional, is purposeful in our spiritual evolution, in our collective evolution and growth. And you've spoken there, alluded to the pain and trauma that you went through and, and it's, it's functionality in terms of teaching you, uh, expanding consciousness in, in you such that you're now in a position of information and, and wisdom to, to serve and there's also something you touched on there and I you in your in your bio um in in the document we asked people to fill in for this show uh, we had this little thing saying extra information any extra information and you just put there is no shame and I just thought that was absolutely that was absolutely beautiful um so I I can I can relate also to to going deep into shame in order to know that there that there, there is no shame so it feels like there's a bit of a, a, a biographical thread there in, in 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 your life and i'm wondering like when did you start to connect the dots as to the work in the prison project the work of bringing people to their inherent worth bringing people to to forgiveness how, how, how did that unfold? Can you speak a little bit more to that personal connection in your own journey and now how you're serving? Um, I had coffee one morning with my friend, Seth, who's a psychotherapist or a psycholo psychologist. And I told him about my childhood trauma and nobody really wants to talk about their trauma. And, you know, I, I mean, all the shame, I had a lot of shame about my, it's funny. I had a lot of shame about my childhood trauma and he said, oh, you need to read a book, The Body Keeps the Score. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. Yeah, for sure. Um, Bessel van der Kolk. And that changed my, reading that book changed my life. It was, um, I got to understand the person I became because of the trauma that I endured. Um, and the shells and the, the anxiety and the depression that was kind of masking my true self. And just the awareness of what trauma does and how it, you know, your inability to learn, your inability to feel safe, um, the reactive patterns I had with my friends, all those things, they were just like, it was like a bright light of, of hope came through my, my body. And I had read that book and soon thereafter I went into prison. And when I walked into prison, I thought, oh, this isn't a prison, this is, this is a trauma center. And because uh, I saw the trauma on every man that I looked at and, you know, their shame, their trauma, their, their sense of worth was, was next to nothing. Just desperate to feel loved and, and seen. And 
I just saw myself in those men. So, um, you know, that, that gift of that book is it's, I, and I started giving that book to everybody. I, I sent it to a few of the men that I met at prison, you know, but I'm realizing that book is really dense and, um, it's a big meal. So, you know, um, I don't think they, most of the guys didn't really respond to it. So I, uh, you know, I've been, I've been doing other modalities to get them to see what, what their childhood did to their lives and um, specifically their trauma. And this, 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 it feels like there are two really extraordinarily, I'm using the word again, but I, I can't think of another word, profound uh, threads intertwining here. One is we're at a point scientifically where we're beginning to grasp more fully how trauma impacts neurological development and thus behavior and mental illness and, and so on. And there's this ancient story that uh, America claims to be living and, and, and built on, which is the, the Christian story of, of forgiveness. And the prison system, as you've uh, seen up close and personal, is pretty far from the model of Christ. It's pretty far from recognizing the innocence of all beings. It's pretty far from forgiveness. Um, and what I'm hearing and sensing with the work that you're doing, you're, you're, you're bringing the, the, the wisdom, the, the modern science that is allowing us to actually understand psychologically and neurologically how and why an individual might behave in the way they behave or feel the way that they feel as a consequence of events that happened many, many, many years ago, potentially in lifetimes of their grandparents and, and so on. We also know now as well and bringing in this, this, you know, it's not, not only Christian, of course, it's the, the golden rule. It's the timeless teachings of spiritual masters everywhere of, of compassion, of, of forgiveness and love. And I'd love to hear, how that's begun like to what extent has that flowed with prison authorities and, and the system and to to what extent have you found um resistance to either one of the new science or or or, or the or the profound forgiveness of of, the, of incarcerated human beings well my experience has been uh limited i'm uh the prison that i'm in that i've been working in is um it's a, it's called a max 180 and it's, it's the most restrictive, the most, they, they say the most violent people, um, are, are centered in this facility. So, um, the trauma on the guards, the correctional officers is as, as if not more, um, uh, obvious than the men that I'm working with. Um, the hypervigilance, the, the you know their inability to bring to allow any emotion into their into their being um what's very very fantastic that just happened was sam harris he has a, a website called waking up uh, um, an app called waking up and um a very very well-renowned podcast he just donated his app to every correctional officer in the state of california um, and they'll be able to access that through, through our, 
our program. So um, we're so happy that Compassion Prison Project, I, I saw the need for some, they need some help. They've got PTSD, everyone has PTSD. All the men in prison, all, everyone in prison has PTSD basically. And um, I'm also working with some former vets um, and we're also trying to draw, draw comparisons about their PTSD versus the prisoner's PTSD. So it's, it's um, you know, it's a PTSD party, if you will, right now. Um, but I'm really excited about, we need to, we need to, compassion does not exclude the, com, the, the correctional officers. We, they're part of us too. And uh, um, we want to bring all, all the resources we have that we're bringing to the men and the, the, the incarcerated men and women also to the correctional officers, because this is, it will, it'll change everything. Yeah, speaking of, of shame and how we cast roles in society, of course, we know that the prisoner role is often cast as the, you know, the, the judged one, the worthless one, the one who needs to be punished and so on. And I was, uh, I've mentioned to you in another conversation, I was fortunate to attend um, yoga teacher training for prisoners in Oregon State um, Maximum Security Prison. And one of the things I learned there is what you're pointing to, which is that the correctional officers are um, really regarded uh, in, 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 the, in the lowest when compared to other people doing very stressful, important work serving society, such as um, first responders in, in, yes. in, uh, in, in fire, in ambulance, and so on. And they're also, of course, in a maximum security prison, especially have a, an additional element of, of, of stress and, and challenge in their, in their jobs with that violent environment and the energy of the place and so on. And what comes to mind is the, 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 the possibility of that role being recast, where mm -hmm. then I imagine it would ultimately lead to a change name. They're not correctional officers, but they're perhaps with additional training and development they're serving people in their development, in their uh, in, in their spiritual journey, ultimately, in their um, in, in their trauma integration, in their in their in their freedom, um, and and we do have prisons in the world, of course, more so in Scandinavia, where this is this is actually real. This is actually the way it's been done for years. That individuals are given the training to support people in their prison time such that when they leave there's very little chance or very small chance that they're going to be coming back whereas right now the system is set up almost to ensure that people come back yes yes they're traumatized they don't do anything to treat the trauma and the trauma is the problem because when you're traumatized you are, you don't feel safe. And so you are going to protect your body over any, any prefrontal cortex text activity, which is, should I do this or not? Is this the right thing to do in this moment? There's no time when you're traumatized, you act. And, um, um, yes. And in Norway, I think it's two years. Um, the people, the, the officers or the, the people that work with the prisoners, they take two years to train. And here I think we have a six to eight week training 
I don't know, I don't know what CDCR does, but um, that's California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. I don't know what they do, but I know it's, it's not nearly uh, two years. There's nothing close to two years. And, um, you know, as, as we start shift, as, this, um, as we change the prison system, which is what's gonna happen, and I believe it'll take three years, um, and this year will be the big year. This will be the year of complete change. Um, I believe we need to go from completely from punishment and 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 traumatizing to wellness and wholeness. So I my vision is bringing about wholeness centers. And um, if we start treating the trauma that exists right now in the prisons through group group therapy, you know, talking about what's going on and letting these men and women feel safe for the first time in their lives, we will start healing. And those people will suddenly sprout this dormant seed that's been in them of ability and function and pro-social, they call it pro-social, pro-social um, expression. And those are the neighbors we want. We, you know, and we don't want to, I mean, when we, it's that circle that we were talking about before we started ta- recording, when we are, when we are warehousing people, we're warehousing part of ourselves. We're not, we're not whole because there's a problem in our system. It's the same thing with the traumatized cops. You know, they're just as uh, wigged out as as the correctional officers. They go out there. They they're worried about their their lives, so they're not thinking. And that's the thing. And and these modalities of restorative justice instead of these um, arbitrary trials that have no involvement where the victim and the the offender don't really get to connect and find out what the harm is and how the harm can be repaired instead of just these arbitrary sentences that put people away to keep us safer but they don't because those people who come back out are you know 67 60 to 70 percent likely to commit a crime within the first three years of their their release so i just said a lot there's 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 a lot in that and the 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 cycle breaking the cycle bringing it down to the mechanics or or the the energetics of, of of how humans interact of how different neurologies connect how different nervous systems connect there was two things that came up as you were speaking to that richness. One was that the work of spiritual teaching or the work of leading groups uh, very often is simply helping people bring their nervous system to balance, to peace. Mm. So it's a, it's a way where, you know, anxiety or, uh, or, uh, or grief or whatever wants to come up. I mean, this is in, in my view, I think, There'll be a lot of others who maybe go for a more transcendental route, but the, the, the messiness, the pain can be seen, can be met and can be loved. So essentially yes. we're, we're doing that work together. We're bringing our nervous systems to balance and it's just like, oh, wow, we're doing the same thing here in prison populations, actually just working with people to realize the presence of love, to realize that, it, that it's in, in this moment it's safe for this nervous system to to exist and the actual what that looks like in terms of connecting the the 
the, the victim of the crime and the individual that's committed the crime uh, to actually create that point of connection in, in, a, in a restorative justice process rather than a more, a more punishment driven. Maybe you can speak a little bit more to that of, 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 of where we're at with how we go about that process and, and, and where we might look to, to, to move to in a more enlightened, in, informed, wise justice system. I, um, well, I'll just speak a couple, of, a couple of sessions ago, we had a restorative justice session in our class. And thank you for saying that thing about the groups and how it, it's a safe place to, to express yourself. I didn't even understand what I was doing. This is, I just did it naturally. We all sat in a group and that, that seemed to be what everybody wanted. And, you know, we've heard, we've heard some, so such horrible tales in that group and we've held each other as we're, as we're sharing them. And then kind of magically, one of the volunteers came in with, um, with a restorative justice, you know, he was assaulted. And what happened in that room when all the men got to really understand what their violence, the effect of their violence had on the victim, it was, it rippled through the whole, the whole room and the healing, their, their desire to heal the volunteer and the volunteer's desire to heal himself. And it was one of the most powerful days of my life and, and for everybody there. And um, as far as restorative justice in the bigger picture, I'm not, I don't really know what's going on. I do know that Daniel Sarad, she has, she wrote a book called uh, um, Until We Reckon. It's incredible book. And she really gets into the, the minutia of restorative justice, what that looks like, why we need it, what happens, and 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 how the people that commit crimes when they are in when they are given this choice, um, their lives turn around, and the victims who basically um, when they go when they're when they're victimized, they have all this trauma that is not resolved and they and putting someone away for 20 years does not begin to address um the trauma that they're dealing with and they're you know they're frightened for their lives now they're just as hyper vigilant as the person who committed the crime now so it's uh and she daniel sarah talks about how one guy got assaulted and what he wanted was for the person who assaulted him to be with him um, in this neighborhood where he would get assaulted. And I, I, I don't even remember the incident, but through, through the cooperation of the two, he healed his trauma and, and was able to function again. And I mean, those are the things that, you know, I don't, I don't know if all the victims in the United States want their, the people who've committed the crimes to be treated in the way they're being treated, knowing that they're going to be worse than when they entered the prison. I mean, I don't know if you know what's going on in Mississippi, but you know, it's, it's, um, it's like Dante's, I don't know what level of hell, but it is definitely, it is paradise lost in there. And, um, 
you know, we've got a lot of a lot of soul searching to do in this in this in this country for sure. What what comes to mind as you're speaking to that there was a reaction that happened uh, after I had this experience up in Oregon and, and shared on my Facebook feed that there was this uh, profound and beautiful experience and though the group had committed a number of what would be regarded as the, the, the worst crimes that an individual can commit, what I found was a number of human beings, uh, a number of human beings very much like me that had made mistakes, that had been hurt, that had hurt it, others. And there was a strong reaction of from someone on the post, they, they were, they, it was, I forget the details, it was some time ago, but it was something like, um, yeah, I wonder how the people who were victims of their crimes feel about you connecting with them or some, something like this. And it didn't make any sort of logical sense. But of course, what we're speaking about is illogical. It's not a, it's not a frontal cortex process or decision. And so when we're speaking about the, the victims of brutal crimes of, of rapes, of, of, of attacks, of um, bank robberies, of um, the, the, those that are left behind when someone has murdered someone. Um, mm. I, I, again, with the actual knowledge, with, with the perspective of, of the bigger picture of what's actually happening, I wonder how that might change and inform people's desires of, of, of what to happen next. Because generally we're presented with this very surface, narrow view that someone has done wrong, we need to punish them as, as if that's somehow effective or, or, or solving a problem or, or put them away to, 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 to protect society or, or protect me. You know, if, I'm the, if I'm the victim, that might be my primary concern, right? I, I don't want to be in the same threat that I was under when that person was out. But if we're looking at the bigger picture of what happens when they do eventually get out, or indeed the suffering that's perpetuated within the prison system with the, with the guards, with the individuals within that prison system, it, it just feels like as that soul searching, as that conversation deepens and expands, as we see the bigger picture more, there's, possibility for a, a less reactive conversation to develop about what is the best response for me as, as, as a victim, what would be the best response for me with that individual that has uh, attacked me or, or, or caused me so much harm? Yes. I mean, the victim, I, you know, taking care of the victim, I think is needs to be the priority in the situation and you know because we know the person who committed the crime is traumatized that person may need to needs to go into care he doesn't need to go into prison he needs to go into care and whether that be for one day or for one year we don't know but we do know that there has to be some kind of intervention so that this doesn't keep happening i do not think though it should be a punitive intervention, and nor should it be any kind of isolation or um, solitary confinement or any kind of, um, you know, punitive action. It's just, it, it, it adds, it creates a human being that's even worse. 
And um, when we when we consider the victim, the victim needs to restore his life from where he was or she was when before the crime was committed. And you know, um, again, back to Daniel Sarah, she she that book is fantastic, but those that's the concern is how do we make you whole again and basically crime crime is a signal that there's trauma you know that's the signal it's crime equals trauma I, I, there, it can't no one wants to no one wants to commit a crime they do it out of desperation and um you know whatever that is or or it's you know the brain has stopped functioning in a in a healthy way so I, I don't think I just answered your question but um, just the victim does need need to be considered need to be honored and then and made whole and however that can happen and but I think connecting if if the victim is open to it connecting with the person who committed the crime is probably the fastest way um, to to make progress there's an incredible Sorry, I'll just say one more thing. There's an incredible television series by Van Jones um, um, about restorative justice. It's an eight-part part series on CNN. I highly recommend that. That sounds that sounds powerful. I know I've heard stories within different models of of justice where there is a connection facilitated between the victim and the person who's committed the crime, and whilst it uh, I, mean, I guess what, what I'm hearing is, is that everyone needs to be taken better care of, and that includes the the victim. So a justice system that is focused on wholeness, that is focused on trauma reduction, that's focused on care, on compassion for all, um, that, that's, a, that's a good starting point in terms of ha, ha, what would that look like with, with a trial where there is some sort of connection facilitated in, in, a, in an intelligent, protective way such that the victim and the person who's committed the crime walk away with an enhanced experience with uh with with a healing having having happened and of course it may be that that person that's committed the crime then has ongoing work to do with trained professionals to support them in uh, a deeper process but i i i know there are you know one or two stories come to mind i i I know that in South Africa in the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, there was a lot of rather more deeply wise and spiritually informed approaches to creating societal healing and in Rwanda as well, in fact. So there's a couple of places in the world where you'd think the desire for revenge or the, or the disconnection between tribes or between skin colors would be so pronounced and so strong. And yet within those systems, there are, extraordinary occurrences there's, there's one that springs to mind of a, uh, a a woman whose son was killed by um by by another man and at the trial she said that what she wanted was for the boy who had killed her boy to become her son mm. and what she wanted was for him to visit her couple of times a month or, or, or whatever and um that 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 was what was possible for her in that space to 
see clearly, I would imagine that this guy, what he did was not because he's evil or because he's a bad human being, but because he's a hurt boy, because he's traumatized and because he was acting from that, from that place. So the resolution is actually to, to love him more, not to punish him more. Um, which, which again is, is, is what the science is telling us. And it's what the teaching of Christianity, which is so prevalent in the U S is, is telling us, is it not to, 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 to forgive? Yes. It's interesting with Christianity though. There's also that conflicting original sin belief that we came in, you know, basically we came in with shame. So there's, um, there's kind of like, it's at Christianity is almost at war with itself mm-hmm. in that um, there's a guilt. There's a, there's a fundamental belief that, that we're not whole. And, um, and so I'm ha- I've been grappling with it because, and the do unto others as you have do, un- do unto yourself. It's very interesting to me, um, this idea of punishment, knowing that it's possible my daughter or my son could go into the system, the criminal justice system. And how do I want my daughter or my son to be treated or even myself? I mean, it's the do unto others is, is a very powerful rule. It's, well, it's, it's a cyclical thing. You smile and you almost automatically get a smile back. Um, and so, you know, as we torture and demean the people that commit crimes, we're doing that to ourselves as well. You know, and all of us have just stood by and watched. That's what I've watched myself do. I watched all those atrocities happen. And that's why I no longer can do that. Um, And, you know, to start planting seeds around the world that, that love is, is, is a choice and an option. And, um, and it's, it's really about reclaiming ourselves as, the, the prisoner is just a symbol of where we're at. That's all, I think. I, I love what you're pointing to there. And I, w- I want us to, uh, to, to call it out courageously, which is the, uh, the lie and the falsehood of the nonsense of original sin. So one, right. of, one of the things that Love and Truth Party is about is really uh, looking at the falsehoods of human narratives, the falsehoods of human stories of human consciousness and separation is the first one the the, yeah. the lie of separation we now know scientifically that there is no such thing as separation that we're, we're all connected in one electromagnetic field or or field of consciousness depending upon one's perspective and we know that materialism both ethical and ontological the idea that we're actually living in a primarily or solely physical world are also false mm-hmm. narratives are, are untrue. And, and finally, our, our third little unholy trinity of myths or falsehoods, the idea of lack, the idea that there is not enough or that I am not enough, which is shame or, or guilt are, uh, is, is simply untrue. And the, 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 the truths we would um, contend would be uh, unity. We are connected. We're connected with with spirit, with our source. We're each one of us connected uh, with 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 God, if we use that word. We're being. We're immaterial beings, ultimately, 
and we're enough each one of us as human beings is enough and there's enough for all and it feels like there's the energetic work of compassion prison project of, of sowing seeds you use that expression which is very much the, the love letters that we're sharing around the place is to um create a, a, a moment of truth a moment of awakening in that moment where, where love is pointed to where the reality of, of love is known which can be facilitated in a group environment where a, a nervous system that is at peace and in love can share that and the the, the, the ripple thing i just want to like explore that a little bit more with you because we touched on it prior to recording and i feel that it's uh we there's actually a solid scientific basis it's also very deeply spiritual to recognize that a shift in an individual ripples out into the collective and we can we are sort of talking about how we see that instantly if we if we smile at someone often it's an it's an immediate smile back so in that, in that moment of choosing to connect with the the cashier or, or the stranger passing us on the street, there's, there's there's a connection. And when you spoke about the moment in the prison, when there was a sort of uh, organically occurring moment of restorative justice with the guy that was assaulted, and the, like that activated in my heart. That I, I felt that in my nervous system here now in this moment. So the the idea of the the rippling effect of acts of kindness or compassion is something we experience viscerally. We know it in our own nervous systems, in our own bodies. And I just get excited about the potential for that as more and more people are doing this work. And I think especially in places where the work is so, so needed, such as such as prisons. Yes, um, um, that's one of the things that I'm I'm bringing about is it's I call it massive volunteerism, which is we need people going to all the prisons, and we need people that are that that even feel that they need to be punished. We need those people to go in as well because the people who feel that, that we need punishment do not see the prisoner they do not have contact with the prisoner and that's the thing they have an imag they have an idea of what this person is and they don't have a a reality they don't they're not based in reality and creating connection of of prisoners with the people that are incarcerated with the people that are outside um will shift this dynamic because we will see ourselves in there and when, when we know that we're inside, we will want to change things. And, and it's amazing. Um, I was at Costco and um, I was talking to a woman about my project and she said, oh, we should just put all the murderers on a desert island. And I said to her, I said, have you met a murderer? I said, I invite you to come with me to meet a murderer. Because when you, when you meet someone, your perceptions about, crime and punishment will shift, will change, and you won't want to put them on a desert island. And I don't think she's going to take me up on the offer, but she did say, 
thank you for saying that. She didn't say Fritzy, but thank you for saying that because I challenged her, you know, her gut reaction about something that uh, it was a bad seed planted a long time ago. And these bad seeds just need to be unearthed so that we can replace them with, with good seeds because the men in there are artists and poets and songwriters and um, musicians and fathers. They're just, they're exquisite. And I challenge anyone to tell me otherwise when they meet them. That's, uh, that's why we need volunteers. Yeah, and that's a, a great call to action for anyone listening that's based in the U.S. or has friends in the U.S. who feel would like to get involved to, to go to CompassionPrisonProject.org and there's opportunity to connect via that platform to find out where people can join the movement and where they can volunteer. Absolutely, and let's not limit it to the U.S. If someone is called, someone in Australia wants to create, wants to... Well, you're in Australia. Another person in Australia wants to create a compassion prison project there. This, you know, I started it by walking into a prison. Anyone can walk into a prison. I don't know how each prison works, but if you walk into a prison and say you want to volunteer, if they say no, you write to your congressman or to your, your politicians because let us in, let us in so we can help. We need to help. Yes, it is a call to action. Compassion in action. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited at what, what will happen next as this grows. You spoke at the start of our call that you're, it's quite an exciting time. You're right on the cusp of, of the second prison and that the third is lined up. And I know that your vision is far grander than, than, than a couple of prisons or, or, or indeed one state. And here you're evoking beyond the, the, the shores of the U.S. as well. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I know from a, I, I tend to take too much on that is possible for one person to do in, in a 24-hour day. Uh, and there is part of me that's sort of wondering, I wonder what might happen in the coming months as other projects finish. And you know, I am here in, in Australia and having experienced the profound the profundity of connecting with individuals in that context and serving people in that context. What, what I got from that was, was, what was huge. Um, I can still see very clearly um, one gentleman in particular, I think he'd been inside for over 15 years and he had clearly put that time to good use. He'd clearly, in spite of the conditions not being supportive of it, um, done a lot, of meditation, he was uh, one of the. You know, he, he he sat there in the lotus position with sparkling eyes and an open heart. And uh, what struck me actually about the gathering, I, I was teaching. Funnily enough, it's funny how life uh, puts one in such circumstances. Teaching radical gratitude, and I wasn't aware that it was a high security prison. My my friend said do you want to come along to a yoga teacher training with me? And I said, of course. And I, I just assumed it would be low or, or medium security. And literally as we were walking in or as we walked through the, uh, drove through the gates, it was like, oh, maximum security. Okay. Interesting. Um, and you know, our group was every 
one of the, the, the worst possible crimes that you could imagine. And I did have a moment thinking, what am I going to teach or share with these gentlemen about radical gratitude, about being grateful for everything? You know, many, of, if not all of these people are going to spend the rest of their lives in prison. And yet what I actually found was not a lack of receptivity or, or a resistance to this notion that everything had meaning, everything had potential for growth, but a total openness to that and a total embodied getting of that far deeper than any uh, satsang or spiritual group that I've connected with because they had been compelled to find meaning and find a way of working something that's almost unworkable you know yes. f finding purpose in, in in this in this environment so e even within that context people were finding meaning and evolving and growing spiritually so i can only imagine what will happen if we actually facilitated that if we made that more um overt more explicit as the opportunity if everyone was behind that same endeavor from the the governor of the prison to the correctional guards to the training of the correctional facility operators and yeah i just yes see this huge potential there and what happens is you this is just for the volunteers so they understand what you give in there what you receive after you've left when you walk out those doors after seven hours well we do seven hours but you can do three hours the change in you is, is quantum. It, it can't be explained. The love and the, the gratitude that you receive from those men or those women is, um, you know, it, it's transformative. And it's, it's, like, it's, it's like a hidden secret. I don't know why everybody doesn't know this. I mean, I've been told that for years. But, you know, and all those little cliches, you know, but it's true you go in there and you don't even know what you're doing and you know they're like just thank you thank you and showing up and seeing them for who they really are is all you really need to do and you know if you know how to write songs even better but it does it doesn't matter just go in there and just be that's all they want we bring treats um we bring treats and we bring and we bring massive love and we get massive love and a lot of drawings. They, a lot of the guys are just drawing for us. And I mean, I don't know. It's like kindergarten. You know, your your kid comes home with a drawing for you, and they want to show it to you. And that's they just want to be seen. They want to be seen, just like we want to be seen. And they see you. It's goes around and around. And and when the guards, when the correctional officers start shifting. You know, there's so much magic available in those in those halls. Yeah, it's interesting the the body language. You know, you were, you were doing this. It goes around, and it, it it really does. This is again that the joy of giving. We talk about a love and truth party, and one of my favorite uh, prayers that I used in meditation for many years is the prayer of Saint Francis. And there's this line in there where he says, "In giving." we receive and what I hear you pointing to is that that's very much the experience when you serve in this way 
um, this this volunteering in prisons is actually something that you you serve others, you give, and in so doing, you you receive uh, in, a, in a in a beautiful way. A hundredfold, you receive a hundredfold, and it, and it changes your life. It, you know, I call them sacred gates because you know it's like walking into a temple of uh, of our own humanity, and it's it's on display for everyone to see. I want to just quote that. So as creative beings, right, as agents of evolution upon planet Earth right now, what you're doing is you are walking into prison facilities as temples of humanity and allowing these moments of transformation and connection for everyone to see, right? So the correctional staff, the volunteers, yourself, the inmates, the, 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 the prisoners or whatever the, the appropriate term is, all get to, to, to witness this transformation of one human being seeing another, witnessing another. Yes. It's, that's, that's basically like the prescription for life is every child wants to be seen. Every man and woman wants to be seen. And we go to outrageous uh, you know, we, it's amazing what we do to be seen and it never gets filled. It seems, it seems I've been trying to be seen all my life and, um, I'm finally realizing I need to just see myself and that'll work. And yet now going into prison, just remembering their names and looking them in the eyes and having a joke for them or something they're seeing me and I'm seeing them and you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm finally good. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, I've done my own work too. So, you know, it helps to do your own work as well. But I think people that are drawn instinctively to visit a prison knows there's something in there for them. And the ones that aren't instinctively, there is still something in there for them. It's because it is, this is part of ourselves. And, you know, just like the homeless person on the street, when you walk by them, you're, you're not acknowledging the part of you that is an addict, the part of you that can't get their, their shit together on a day or can't take care of themselves or, you know, wants to crawl and not deal. I mean, that's, that's the homeless person that we're ignoring. So, you know, the same with the prison person or, or the cop that you hate because you think they're going to, you know, see you as a criminal or see you as less than all the people that we, we avoid or we despise are just things of ourselves. Obviously, this is an old, old teaching, but the prison is a big one because we don't want to look at our traumatized selves. That's really what, and that's the same with homeless. It's the same thing. So, you know, when you see a homeless person, that's an opportunity to get in touch with your own trauma and your own shadow self, which is, which is the only way we can bring light to that. So, so come to prison. <laughs> <laughs> and what else uh, is 
compassion prison project in need of so obviously there's this opportunity for people to to join and to become volunteers i know from my experience i know from the experience of many friends who have connected with with compassion prison project that it, it's it's life-changing to take on that opportunity to become a volunteer what else um are you looking to manifest are you looking to receive to support the next phases of compassion compassion prison projects expansion into the world well our yearly nut is about six hundred thousand dollars now i'm sure it will be more as we enter more prisons so donations are great um and even just volunteering for the office or just you know you can work remotely there's tons of things to transcribe and to um, organize and, you know, post things on social media, just all those things that need, you know, it's a machine that needs to be fed. And I seem to be the sole feeder right now, or not the sole, but the primary feeder of, of the machine. So that those kind of volunteering hours, if you can't spend a day in prison, if you want to just um, donate some time um, and also activating communities and, you know, um, students and people and your gifts. What are your gifts? If you're a writer and you want to teach a class or if you have a, even if you have a class that you can't teach and you have a curriculum or something, we need, we need, there's two point, I'm going to stick with the United States for right now, but there's 2.3 million people in prison. There's 1,719 prisons in the United States. That's not even including jails and uh, junior uh, juvenile facilities and um, Native American facilities. So there is a huge need just to show up. Um, that's really that's really what I I envision. But we need to bring our gifts. You know, if we're teachers, if we're psychotherapists, whatever. You know you know, four, four days a week, four days a month, or one day a month, just showing up is just transformative for everybody. And it'll break, it'll, it'll soften all these walls. And, um, and what else we need, we need connections, and we need um, people, influencers, you know, if there's an influence, influential person that can tweet about this, or post a photo on, on Instagram, but all those things really make a difference. Um, and, um, corporate sponsorship sponsorship and like donations of granola bars. We spend, so half of our money is spent just bringing treats to the guys or a van. If you want to donate a van so we can schlep back and forth for hours or, you know, gas cards or, you know, it doesn't matter. Just whatever, whatever is inspiring because um, that's it. When, when love is infused with the donation, whatever that is, it's, it's contributing to the shift. So, you know, even if it, or a letter to, you know, one of those random love letters. Oh my God. If we could get 2.3 million random love letters, I don't know how that would work, but we'll figure that out. Let's do 2.3 million letters. I have a post office box. I'll start sending them out. And I know, oh, and those guys, they, one of the things they really want to do, it's called SAM, spreading awareness to minors. And they want to write letters to the, the kids in juvenile hall so that they can start um, 
giving them advice. So they want, they, they're, they want to share their wisdom. So those guys are, they're actively figuring out ways to change, to change the world from their perspective. So, you know, they want to write letters as well. So, you know, we can get everybody in prison writing letters too. You know, let's, you know, there's 2.3 and they've got time. They've got a lot of time to write a lot of letters. So however we want to do that, but it's just, and create initiatives, just like it's, it's the most creative thing you can do because nobody knows what they're doing in there. Nobody, no, the prisons do not know how to deal with this. So it's really up to us. It's our, we have to rehabilitate our society. This is our, this is a symbolic act, but this is, we know there's a problem and we need to rehabilitate. So start in darkest place, shine the light in the darkest place and uh, we'll all be glowing. I, I really want to just reflect my appreciation that you know, sometimes you ask someone, how can I support you or, or what do you need for help? And they, they maybe struggle to have clarity on, but you were the absolute opposite. You gave us massive clarity and a very, very long list of all of the possible ways that we can support the Compassion Prison Project, which is excellent. I can see the, the genius in your uh, productive uh, pro producing capacities there. Um, so I, I encourage everyone listening, watching to check out compassionateprisonproject.org and we've, we'll have all those details in the um, uh, on, on all the different platforms we're sharing today. Uh, Fritzi, you, you inspire me. Um, this is my start of the day here in Australia and it's, it's a great start to the day. I'm looking forward to, to staying connected and seeing what other, other ways we can support the work of uh, Compassion Prison Project in the world. It's really profound and, and, and inspirational for me. Yes, thank you. And um, you're so inspiring and so clear and perceptive. And this is the beginning of 2020. And, you know, 2020, 2020 means clarity. I mean, it has like a, it's a fundamental uh, definition of clarity. So there is no mistake that this is the year of clarity and, and focus because we, we know our, we know the right path and now we just must, we must walk it. And, uh, you know, thank you for allowing me to share this time with you and, and talk about these things that are so dear to my heart and so dear soon will be dear to all of your hearts because um, there are brothers and sisters. We cannot deny that. And to deny that is to deny ourselves. So it's, it's very easy. Beautifully put. Thank you for joining us today, Fritzi. I wish you so much uh, wellness and joy with the project and uh, look forward to, to, to supporting you in that. Thank you so much. Thank you for this. And thank you everyone watching and listening today. Thank you for your support, your attention, and uh, you can connect with CompassionPrisonProject.org. You can also connect with Love and Truth Party on loveandtruthparty.org. We invite you to take love letters, to volunteer in prisons, to uh, share, subscribe, and like 
this podcast, your comments and interaction, of course, help this uh, interaction come to more people's eyes and ears. Thank you to all of our existing supporters and contributors. Together, we are creating kind, conscious, courageous human community.